This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Scotty, ready? Ooh, I'm ready to laugh and laugh and laugh. Confusion as man finds seven-foot Egyptian sarcophagus abandoned on sidewalk. That would be confusing. That's, <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to find out where this guy is. Well, uh, I'm too tired to think of something funny to say because it's a morning recording. So <laughs> let's get into a spicy new I don't know. You, let's. This episode will wake you from the dead. There we go. Thank God on <laughs> bananas. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, welcome to Banana. Sitting across from me is uh, my screenwriter extraordinaire and best hey. bud exemplar, Scotty Landis. Hey, I'll take it. And right there, you know him. He's Curdy B, my BFF. How you doing, <laughs> dude? I had a question, actually. Yeah. When you did that commercial with Cardi B in the diner. Yes, yes. What diner was that? Was that in L.A.? Uh-huh. It was in L.A. It was um, it was in a strange location. I okay. mean, every, when I say strange, anything <laughs> towards the West is strange to me because I never go yeah. over there. Okay. Um, it was far over, maybe above Culver City. Okay. Um. Or maybe below it, maybe below yeah. Culver. City. It looked cool. I just happened to—I was thinking of that commercial, and I went back and watched it. And I'm like, "Where is this? This is an awesome-looking diner. It looked really cool." That was when I was reminded, because um, I hadn't done a commercial in a really long time. But then I had, you right. know, I got had kids, and I was like, "Oh, I need to start doing commercials again," because <laughs> children so are expensive. Uh, yeah, so smart. And I just realized that re- that actors are uh, in the commercial process. They are simply props, unless it unless you're Cardi B, and then yeah, you then you run the show, and then yep. everyone else is literally. We sat in a parking lot. All the actors, and there were so many people in that spot. There everyone was. sat in a parking lot from six in the morning until two in the morning, Great. and it was December. It was freezing out. Uh, there was no heaters. Wow. It was crazy, and mm-hmm. I, I was there at six a.m. And then I get—I think I shot from eleven, eleven, eleven thirty p.m. to midnight. I shot for thirty minutes, <laughs> and then they kept yeah. me for two more hours for no reason. I think yeah. just to be like, we own you. We have control over you. It was like the worst experience whatsoever. 
That but, makes a lot of sense. And but at least it never aired. At least it aired yeah. once for the Super Bowl, and then they never aired it again. So there was no. And for people who don't know, like the only way you make money on a commercial is if it airs a lot. And if it doesn't, yeah, the if more it's like, you see it, yes. the better usually. So and usually people are always like, "Oh man, you were in a Super Bowl commercial." Usually Super Bowl commercials pay the least mm. because they spend all of their money on the ad buy for the Super Bowl, and then they don't buy. They don't spend anymore, so then they then shelve that ad. Usually, in the rare instances where it just keeps going and everything. Um, but yeah, for the most part, if you're in a Super Bowl spot, you're gonna, not going to make any money, which is so weird. I and you know this about me. I, I've never claimed, and I would never claim that like I had an idea that somebody else took and made it their own. It's mm-hmm. like I just never do that. Yeah, their ideas are in the ether. They're all it, right, there. and it's just yeah, exactly. I'm not somebody that even monitors ideas that much, but one, I think somebody worked in advertising. I I know this actually happened. Okay, because I was a, I used to have a couple friends that worked at like McCann Erickson and some of those big New York ad sort of those old school madmen type of companies. And I used to get invited to the holiday parties, and advertising parties in the early 2000s were so fun because they, they were. were like heavily catered and really dumb. But decadent and weird. And also when you were in your 20s, you're just like, what's happening? Like you've never been to a, a party where, where there's food. Yeah. <laughs> and it, but like, but not just food. Like I remember one where all the caterers were very attractive men and women wearing see-through chain mail. So like insane. Knight's chain mail. And they were the big, funny, cool food thing is they all had McDonald's food on silver platters. So just pyramids of cheeseburgers, pyramids of McNuggets, That's pyramids awesome. of McChickens. What a great idea. Yeah. And so I have some photos of that. I'll, I'll be able to find those photos of me posing with like basically naked, but wearing our uh, <laughs> like knights in armor chain mail only. And then we're all just drunk as hell. But I was at one of not that one, but another one that was sushi and Guinness themed. It Are was you, sponsored Jesus by Christ. Guinness. Oh and God. then there were women and men covered in sushi because that uh-huh. was such a thing in 2004, 2005. And we just ate, and everybody was kind of smart. Where normally you go to those things, you get drunk first because in New York, an open bar is like a gift from God. Yeah. This was like, it's sushi. Eat it as soon as you get here because it's just going to be sitting <laughs> it's, it's there. It's going to be gone. Getting hotter <laughs> and getting grosser. And it's this guy's body temperature is probably 97.9 <laughs> degrees. So let's, <laughs> let's eat before he cooks this salmon roll. And so I wait, said, wait, the sushi was on a person? Some were on people, some oh, were no. on these giant boats. <laughs> oh, like, my God. They just <laughs> didn't have, like, they didn't give a shit back then. It's such a different world. We're just like, oh, this is just a normal corporate party. There's yeah. sushi on human beings. <laughs> yeah. And then in every direction, Guinness on tap. And so we're standing on balconies, looking over Madison Avenue, eating plates of sushi, <laughs> talking about the future. I'm like 20-something years old. <laughs> so so at the, one of those, they were talking about the strategy. And so that was a Christmas party or a holiday party. And the Super Bowl's after Christmas. So uh-huh. they were talking about all their stuff. And I was like... I don't know why you guys pay $3 million a minute or whatever the hell it is. I was like, you should just have somebody yell the product name in one second. And then the next year, I drove my brother-in-law out to uh, Portland, Oregon. And on that road trip, we get there and we watch the Super Bowl in a Portland, Oregon bar where zero other people even knew it was the Super Bowl, which is I like... I love that. Gr- That's so Which great. I love. Portland. That's why Portland rocks. 
Right, and we're going to be in Portland, April 15th. Um, and we're watching the Super Bowl, and in the middle of the first half, there is a friendly-looking large guy dressed like a beer delivery guy. He comes on screen and just goes, High Life! And that was it. It was a one-second ad by screaming High Life. And I was like, I am sure yeah. somebody at that party heard me say that and got the clock ticking and then probably went and pitched after yep. the Super Bowl and was like, we should just do a one-second buy for $10,000. And I, it kind of went viral. But I was like, I'm sure I planted that seed for somebody <laughs> yeah. while binging on sushi. Well, at least you got the sushi out of it, right? Hey, free meal? It's amazing <laughs> what I'll do for a free meal and a drink. It is also interesting how in my 20s, I feel like I was far more hooked up with people who would just bring over some sort of product of like yeah. a thousand of them. And then for a party, we would just like, do you remember we always used to have um, Colt 45 at parties? Yeah, just cases and cases of Colt 45 because yeah. our friend Dan worked for the marketing or whatever for that. I never knew why, but I remember. <laughs> oh, you never knew why? why. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought you guys were cheap as hell. <laughs> no, it was just cases of Colt 45. Cause I don't know. Colt 45 was trying to do what Paps Blue Ribbon did and make it like cool with hipsters or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. We were just it's giving a, it's it a away, brutal. baby. Mickey's hand grenades were big too. The, mm-hmm. the Mickey's malt liquor. That, that was a big punk like thing. Like a green hand grenade. Yeah, yeah. That was a big one in Brooklyn too. You'd go to a party and just be a case of those. And you're like, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll get blackout on this, I guess. Uh, here's the story, Scotty. Yeah, hit me with this one. This was sent in by Sean Fister. This is an, this is another one for Sean. I think we just did one recently. Yeah, Sean's pretty good. Uh, this was uh, on Newsweek, written by mm-hmm. Alice Gibbs. Mm-mm-mm. Whenever so I'm good. reading articles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on abandoned Egyptian sarcophaguses, I always Absolutely. look and see if Alice has been writing them because she is the best in the biz when it comes she tickles to those keys when it comes to ancient coffins on pedestrian walkways. Here it is. <laughs> One man's unusual find while walking the streets of London has baffled the internet. After getting off London. a late train on Monday, March 13th, the Redditor who wished to remain anonymous was astonished when he stumbled upon a full-sized ancient Egyptian style sarcophagus. Yeah. Traveling from King's College in central London to St. Mary Cray in the southeast London borough of Bromley, he wasn't expected. He wasn't expecting what he saw when he stepped out of the station. "Quote: It was already pretty gloomy and quiet because it was late on a Monday, so not many people were around at the time. But as I left the station, my eyes couldn't stop fixing on this thing when I saw it." He told Newsweek, "If anything, I just burst out laughing a bit because I don't think something could get more random than some Egyptian sarcophagus laying down outside a train station." And I'm looking at it right now. It's huge. Uh, ancient Egyptian stone sarcophagi date back to the pharaohs of the third dynasty around 2686 and 2613 BC. Wow. Elaborate coffins. They were painted and decorated to help the deceased obtain passage to the afterlife. Leaders and the wealthy of ancient Egypt would be buried in a sarcophagus, which were designed to be displayed above ground. Archaeologists are still uncovering ancient Egyptian tombs today, and while burials yeah. like this are no longer practiced, it is an idea that some have held onto. One man even built a 3,000-pound sarcophagus to keep a beloved pack of Cheetos preserved, as we know. Yeah. However, nobody was expecting hero. an elaborate Egyptian sarcophagus to appear on the streets of the UK capital, and hundreds of commenters on Reddit shared their confused reactions. I don't care about the reactions. Yeah, we don't care about um, that. This is, again, another... Uh, this is a... Uh, a very common 
type article. It's surprising that this is in Newsweek, where it's just like uh, we are writing an article we about heard a post. Uh, we uh, heard something. Yeah, here's a post. Some, some person wrote this on the internet, and now it's in Newsweek. <laughs> yes, but there, it, it, yes. I'm looking at it. Um, it was it, it, amazed by the strange discovery. The redditor explained, "I don't know if it carries across in the photo, but it wasn't small. I would estimate that it's at least six to seven feet, which was what also amazed me the most. How the hell does something that big like get there, and why?" Uh, yeah, Newsweek. well, somebody stole it and got sick of lugging it around. That's that's somebody stole that thing, right? So Newsweek yeah. has reached out to Bromley Council via email about the sarcophagus. Period. Mm-hmm. No information about whether or not they responded. <laughs> no journalism involved whatsoever. <laughs> we Just, re- we sent an email so that we could publish this story. We sent the email the moment the story went live. Do you care to comment? <laughs> Boop. We don't care. And I looked I, and I tried to look up uh, the answer to this and I could not find it. I'm looking at the photo. I, I legitimately can't tell if it's real or not. I'm oh, assu- I see. It could I'm be a ass- prop too. Yeah, I'm assuming it, it. I'm assuming it's a prop, but it's like highly detailed if it's a prop. But I can see in a way that it might be wooden. As Sometimes to- you steal things. We all did yeah. it as teenagers, where you steal something. It's really fun for a while, and then, like I remember, people used to steal traffic signs all the time. Or I know guys that would steal those orange traffic barrels that you like have a light on or cones, and then you'd walk into their crappy apartment or you'd walk into their shitty dorm room, and you're, there's like, where'd you get that yield sign? And they're like. Uh, Main Street and Blue Avenue. And you're like, this seems bad. And then an accident happens and something terrible happens. And suddenly, all those signs, that stolen stop sign ends up outside. This feels (laughs) like Egypt was probably like, give us back our shit. There's tons of stolen stuff. England ransacked us and stole our stuff. And somebody that had been (laughs) keeping that as a piece just threw it out on the sidewalk. I I, have it. Yeah. I don't know where it is. Yeah, beats me. <laughs> it's like you used to show that to everybody when you had parties, and then uh, to me, it feels like they felt guilty. It was too cumbersome to move around, and they were like, "Just put it there and drive away, and let Reddit deal with it." You know, that's my guess. Because uh, I was a very into doing that as well as a, as a teenager, like of course, you know, stealing street signs and stuff like that. Um, but what I've later found out how to do, which I thought was really interesting, and I maybe have talked about this on the podcast. Who before, cares? But the so you know the street signs, the the street signs that are put up for construction, where it's like a like they wheel up yeah. a thing and it's like battery powered and it's like really yeah. bright and you can make it yes. do arrows and everything. So there is a in at least in the in the nineties. And I don't know if it's the, the way that it works anymore. But if you would go behind that thing, there's just a little battery case that's the, also the controller, and it's plastic, yes. and there's no lock on or anything, and you just pop it open, and the yes. password was 1234. <laughs> there you go. And so there if you, you just go. put 1234, then you had access to the sign. You could just make it say whatever oh, it wanted. <laughs> hell yeah. That's so good. So in Baltimore, we would just like reprogram them to just read like b- balls. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You never know what them, but also balls is great. <laughs> Whatever you write is good because the people driving by who have had a long day just go, that's funny. Yeah. 
It was when we were. I stole a sign that said "Party Time" from a Baskin Robbins right near my high school, and I used to put it in the back window of my Corolla and just drive around, and like people would yell like "Party Time" and stuff. And then my sister's friend Dawn took it to a Dave Matthews concert and posed with hundreds of strangers who just thought it was so cool to have a party time sign had big balloons on it with a blue sign said party time really big and it just had colorful balloons all over it and she just held it up and people would be like party time that's That's all it took awesome and it didn't say baskin robbins or anything it just said just said party time Oh, that makes me so. So you should have put party time on that digital sign. (laughs) Bananimals, if you're doing something, just put, if you don't ever know what to write, just write party time. And let everybody else figure out if they're having fun. I took, we went for this beautiful walk yesterday morning. um, Because it's finally like spring is kind of here in Los Angeles. Which I've never said before in my life. There's never been a spring in the 10 years I've lived here. And we are definitively having a spring. Yes. And um, and there's like buds on a tree, and we're walking across the river, uh, the L.A. River near our house, and uh, on a little walkway, mm-hmm. right in the middle of the walkway, beautiful, mm-hmm. big tree just blooming, and then just written in white word, in white lettering on the, the, the bridge itself, just vagina. <laughs> vagina. <laughs> so I have this beautiful gotta picture. <laughs> Gotta write something. Because this beautiful <laughs> picture of just like this blooming tree and a river below it and just vagina. <laughs> it's just the dumbest, uh, the dumbest graffiti you could ever possibly imagine. Yeah, that's so good, though, because just some <laughs> middle schooler that wants his friends to know that he knows what girls have and then he's like but i don't want to get in trouble because i'm still a good kid wow that's so funny my god give me another one uh i got one sure oh you'll like this one brooklyn's new opened brooklyn's newly opened museum of failure celebrates bad ideas silly designs and overhyped products Oh, all right. So, I'm interested. Yeah, this is cool. Uh, this is CBS News, written by the best in the business, Hannah Kleiger. Bad news, Hannah Kleiger. New York City. <laughs> <clears throat> A new museum in Sunset Park, Kurt's old neighborhood. Yep. Sunset Park, Brooklyn proves that even the most successful businesses can sometimes have very bad ideas. The newly opened Museum of Failure is a Ooh. place that celebrates bad ideas, silly designs, and overhyped products that never really took off. This is brilliant. It's a great idea. And and Bananimals, go. It's uh, it's going to be open. I, at the end of the article, it has the dates. But okay. go take pictures. Let them know the Banana Boys sent you. Uh, consider the 2011 Bic for her pens. <laughs> <laughs> Developed and marketed towards women. The only difference was the glitter and a higher price tag. Of course. Got the pink tax on that. Or how about Google Glass, a brand of smart glasses that raised some red flags regarding privacy. Or another example, the Rejuvenique electrical face mask from 1999, a beauty product that shocks the face with electrical stimulation, <laughs> but looks like the stuff of nightmares. I've seen this. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah, it glows. It looks like a Jason mask, yes. and then it has like glow. That, that oh, that's, that's the crazy. Rejuvenique. We should have Rejuveniques. I, we'll spot, hey, sponsor us, Rejuvenique. We'll sing your praises. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, after residencies around the world, the exhibit has found a temporary home in uh, the East Coast for the first time. The exhibit was curated by Swedish psychologist and innovation researcher Dr. Samuel West. Doesn't sound like a Swedish name to me, but Mm-mm. what do I know? See, that's I have to learn something. <laughs> It houses over 150 items he considers commercial flops. Quote, a failure is when your efforts don't lead to the expected or desired results. End quote. Dr. West tells CBS New York's Hannah Bad News Kliger. The (laughs) items range from a famous Soviet car to the now discontinued Segway scooters to a massive set of metal-tipped lawn darts. I We played lawn darts. Yeah. Uncle Steve had them in the 80s. They were so, so dangerous. It was so crazy. Let's describe lawn darts yes. for our Gen Z listeners. Lawn darts, you would put a small hoop, like imagine a hula hoop, on the ground, and then you'd pace, I don't know, 25 feet away and put another hoop. And just like playing horseshoes or cornhole, you would have colored darts that were about, I would guess, 16 inches. Yeah. Maybe eight. They were big. Yeah. And they had a metal weighted tip. They were. And the idea. It, it was like a metal. It, it was all all metal. It was all metal with just like the like the dart kind of, what are the feathering? Yeah. Those what, feathers, whatever the, those what, are, what are called. What are those called? Those like side. But they were like hard things. green plastic or hard red plastic. Dart parts. I'm googling it live. This is see. This is the research that news. Uh, it's called the are not willing to do. It's called the flight. They're the flight? called flights. They're dart flights. All right. So great. the flight on the darts was uh, hard plastic, and then you would lob them underhand, like throwing a softball towards the other hoop where the people you were competing against <laughs> are standing. were standing. It would go through feet. It would go into faces, it would hit pets, and then they banned them. Lawn darts were so dangerous. It's so crazy. It was heavy. It was re- it was heavy enough. The point is for the is for it to like stick in the ground, like stick in hard the hard ground. In the hoop. It had yeah, to be heavy enough to land and just bonk, stick in. In hot summer ground, dry, and so yes, these they'd go right through a flip flop. They were if you had jellies on, little little girls in the eighties running around with jellies, getting darts through the feet. Now they look like they have stigmata. Um, da, 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 da. What were parents thinking? Here you go, guys. Here's some weapons to throw at each other. Dinners at six. Recalls Jim <laughs> Samosa, managing director of Industry City. Uh, I think that's where it's located, Industry City. Okay, yeah. The exhibit features a strange-looking hula chair, a machine which promised to give its users abs while they watch a movie or do work. I've seen that. However, yeah, yeah. yeah. However, when one sits down, the silly rocking and spinning motions make one unable to focus on anything at all. <laughs> it's very on brand for us. We take a lot of risks doing a project like this, and we have a lot of tenants that are entrepreneurial who take a lot of risks and have... And have had their share of failures, but they have all turned those things into successes, and it felt right. So basically, Samoza saying, this is why we're doing this silly thing. 17,000 square feet of sad, absurd, sometimes even hilarious lessons in life and business. So, Bananimals, you got to go. The Museum of Failure will be open through mid-May with a possible extension into June. Again, this is Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Have a slice of pizza and go sit in that hula chair and barf it all up. 
Oh, that's great. And right around there used to be, and I think it was on, I'm trying to remember where it was. It, I think it was on 29th and 4th Avenue. There was a deli that mm. you would walk in the deli, like it was yeah. a bodega, and then you would walk to the back and then walk in between the coolers. Yes, I went with you once. Yes, and walk in between the coolers, and then there was a... It was a taco shop, like back, just like in a little area that's yes. like hidden behind coolers. I have no idea why that, but it was so cool, and they were such good tacos. Yeah, and then they also had a liquor store that had like vodka tasting, chilled vodka in oh, the yeah. back in Sunset Park. But their big thing too is they had that wine chiller, and basically yes. they would have that spinning water wine chiller thing in the front. But you would go in and just drink ice cold vodka with whoever was sitting in the back. It was that Polish man. guy. I'm trying to remember what his name yes, was. That was like my Polish local dude. liquor store, and um, he really loved Sobieski vodka. He would, we got us really into Sobieski vodka. He was just like, this is as good as that crap that he hated the Russians. <laughs> He's like, as yes. that shit those Russians make. This is Polish yes. vodka. Yes, and that then, is the exact guy. Yeah. Yes. And then he would always, whenever you come in, his big thing was Sobieski made like a, uh, like a honey vodka. And he would just be like, have some shots. He must just sit there doing shots with people yes. all day long. I think so. I think that's exact. I mean, he did it with me, but he was really nice. He, oh, so d a delight! I went. I purposely went and bought all the liquor that we bought there because he was. Yeah, so great. I can't find it, but I absolutely remember that dude. He was so funny. I can't remember his name either. Everyone, uh, everyone who used to live around there is now yelling at me. I did a wine tour in Napa and Sonoma over a long weekend. It was actually really fun. It started with a friend. Somebody I like briefly dated who then became a friend. She's like, hey, my buddy's in town from London. Her partner just got a job in Napa. He works at this huge vineyard. Uh, and he's like the caretaker of the land. Like he's there year round main maintaining everything. And she's like, they want to have us up for dinner. Do you want to go? So I drive up wow. there. It was it was called the Continuum. It was Continuum okay. Vineyards, and it was the Mondavi family, which were like you know they made wine cheap in America, right? And then the dad sold it or something, and it like ruined the legacy. <laughs> and so one of the sons, who was very wealthy because everybody learned to love wine back in the seventies and eighties, uh, was like, "I'm going to make our family proud again," and he bought the best land in Napa and created Continuum, which was like, we're going to make incredible wines. So uh -huh. that's where I go. I'm okay. not big wine drinker. Yeah. That's fine. We're having dinner and everything. Is so in your 20s? Had, this was in my, this was probably, this was probably nine years ago. Okay. So I was in my 30s for sure. So you just moved yeah. to LA. Just moved to LA. Getting used I, to the idea that you have California at your fingertips. Yeah, had a really cool, like, she was like a girlfriend, but she used to live in Paris, so we didn't hang out all the time. And then when she was here, we were, she was like, let's go do this thing. I was like, absolutely. And they also, they were like, you can come pick grapes anytime. Our harvest season, we just have people we know pick these grapes. And I was like, I would actually love to do that for yeah. one day. So that was all fun. Like, hanging at Continuum, seeing how wine's made, getting the tour, doing all the things, incredibly cool experience. And then the next day, they were like, hey, there's like a crafts fair and walk around napa and so because it's napa there's wine everywhere so and i'm not a huge wine drinker and wine makes me a very what's the right word for the type of drunk it's like loopy like silly uh-huh um 
and so there were everybody's selling wine goods like yeah. for, you know people have painted wine glasses and it's like the ugliest <laughs> painting <laughs> yes, ever yes but they all have a bottle of wine at their table. They all have nice wine. So they're like, would you guys like a little sip? And you're like, sure. So you're walking around with a glass. You're just drinking wine. Every type, every every type of wine you can drink, just mixing in your guts, just walking around. And then I'm getting drunker and sillier. And I'm like being <laughs> big too silly probably. And then we get to the thing where it's like, hey, this is like those wine cork saver things. If you don't finish the wine and I'm like, who doesn't finish a bottle of wine? And like, I'm just being there like, I like this guy. He's an alcoholic. <laughs> and then I realized that I'm just laugh wine teeth roasting all the products for an hour. And every time I turn around, Jessica and her two friends, including the guy that runs Continuum, are like crying laughing because I'm just shooting straight. I'm getting real honest with these people. And the last table, I walk up to it. I go, what are these? Earrings and navel rings? And they go, these are wine bangles or something. They go around the stem to... Hey, these are wine bangles to go around the stem. This is how you could tell your wine glass apart from anybody else's. And I just go, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. He's and then they give us free ones to try to win us over. <laughs> I think I single-handedly ruined the wine industry in Napa for that weekend. Just roasting every wine-adjacent useless product. Yeah. Oh, it's a CO2 wine opener? Yeah, because this is so hard screwing this in. <laughs> oh, man. Now I want to go back and do that again. It was so Oh, man. I haven't gone. Fun. I haven't gone to a wine tasting, I don't know, in like nine, eight, nine years. Yeah. And it was, I would love to. I like, or like, you know, like go like, just like, oh, we go here, like ride your bike from thing to thing and get free yes. wine. Yes. I like a free wine. Oh, we'll do it because uh, we're talking about doing Fraser Ween 3 in wine country. Oh, and it's going to be called Fraser Wine Ween country. And <laughs> Flula is shooting in a movie with Kristen, actually. Uh -huh. And when he's back, we're going to do a Fraser Ween. So come on up and dress like a Fraser character and get wine drunk with I us in it. Sonoma. I love it. Hell yeah, dog. I'll, I'll send us into a, oh, I love this story. And I Good. think you will too. This is just right up your alley. Heck yeah, dude. Um, 20 years ago, an Olympics disaster let one skater make history. Wow. What a teaser. Yeah. Back after my weird voice on <laughs> Bananas. <laughs> Folks, we are back with more Banana Scotty. You got any shout-outs before we get into this? I do. Story? And first, right off the bat, we got some DMs just last week from Oslo, from Perth, mm -hmm. from Dubai, and from New Zealand. So nice. what's up to our international bananimals? We love you. Sorry we don't use the metric system when we talk about stuff. We wish Distances we did. and weights on the pod. I'll get better at it. But let us know where you're from. It's so cool. I was like, Oslo? Holy smokes. Um, Nicole is moving from Klamath Falls, Oregon, because after three long years of effort, she landed her dream job 
to help fund. Wait, did I already do this one? I bet I did. I fund, so. plan, and carry out landscape restoration to benefit wildlife and wildlife goals of the landowners. Nice. Congratulations, Nicole. We're all about benefiting wildlife on bananas. You're going to be great at it. Congratulations. Princess Pickles. Could also be Pickles, but I think it's Pickles. <laughs> it, it's P-I-C-K-L-E-Z. I mean, all the pickles L-E-Z. could be Pickles. <laughs> yeah, they're Pickles. Uh, what's to shout out the Fargo Skateboarding uh, Company in DeKalb, or DeKalb, Illinois, and its owner specifically, Ariel. Fargo Skateboarding is an inclusive indoor st- skate park. Everybody can skate. Everybody can go to Fargo Skateboarding in DeKalb or DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, so shout out to Ariel for creating a safe space for people to rip. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, nice. Uh, I'll do two more here. I remember there was there used to be a um, uh, the Eaton Town uh, Eaton Town Roller Rink in Eaton Town, New Jersey. Used yes. to have on certain days, like on Sundays between like two and three, or maybe it was probably like a Wednesday or something. Um, they would let you skate, and they would set up ramps. And so it was like on the you they would let you skateboard rather instead of roller skate. So you would go out on to like the roller skating, but with your skateboard and then like try and jump, you know, like go Oof. you know, you it's know that's so hard to do. It was so hard to do. We're just it's like, so hard. I think do. I pulled it off like once or twice as a twelve year old. But it's just such a quick shoot you up in the air. <laughs> yeah. I've dropped in on a skateboard two times in my life on like a quarter pipe. Eight Eight shit so incredibly hard. Now when I watch yeah. anybody just drop in on a half pipe at all, I'm like, good for you. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, go ahead. Two more. Alina wants to shout out her new podcast. It's called Might As Well Be Your Mother. So if you need a new pot, check out our Banana Alina's new podcast, Might As Well Be Your Mother. Uh, and this one is huge. This one I'm saving for last. Rachel and Jillian Scanlon went on a 12-hour road trip in Canada mm-hmm. to go mm-hmm. see our Bananas Billboard in Moncton, New Brunswick. Oh, my God. They got up early. They they started sending us posts at like maybe 5 a.m., at least 6 a.m., driving, making stops, fun sisterly road trip along the way. They took a picture at the longest covered bridge in North America. She That's said so it, uh, awesome. Rachel was DMing, saying it's very unimpressive. <laughs> but also ho- hilariously long. If you're a Canadian and you live near there, you know what it is. And then they went all the way to Moncton, took photos in front of our billboard on yes. Main Street in Moncton. So Rachel and Jillian Scanlon, to me, clearly the bananas of the week. Two bananas of the week. Oh, that is wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you for doing that. Go drive towards it. It's fun. <laughs> it's just a, a billboard in a town. That we've we never have been to. <laughs> Probably will never visit. <laughs> and I, I found one of our bananas reached out about a town called Red Bud, Illinois, nice. and they sent some pictures of some like crappy um, billboards that have like bad me- like shitty messages on it. And I'm like, yeah, that's gonna get a bananas podcast loves your butt billboard yes! right there. Oh, so that's that'll great. be next, I think. And yes. that's it, Curdy B. You got anything? Uh, I don't. I just got this story for you, pal. Let's do it. This was sent in by Katie Barsati. Thank you, Katie. Great This name. is on a, a, a Channel 12 News website. Sounds I real. I don't know what channel, where Channel 12 is. I think it looks like an NBC affiliate. There we um, go. That's all I need to hear. 
20 years ago, an Olympics disaster let one skater make history. I love this story. I think you're going to love this. This is a story that I feel like when I read it, it's for Scotty. Okay. Oh. I'm not going to read the subheader because it gives it away. Here we go. I see. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this was written by no mm. credit, no mm. credit, no author I've is 12 news. That's the author. Hey, 12 news. Nobody wanted to be associated. Salt Lake city, slow and steady wins the race, right? Well, mm-hmm. that was certainly the case 20 years ago when an Australian speed skater made Olympics history after he snuck up from behind his competitors to win a gold medal. Stephen Bradbury was trailing behind all his opponents in the 1,000-meter race at the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics on February 16, 2002. During the last stretch around the track, all the other skaters crashed into each other and stumbled across the ice rink. The sudden collision provided a clear pathway for Bradbury to quickly skate across the finish line in first place. His opponents continued to slip and slide across the track while frantically attempting to reach the end. There was, quote, there was complete chaos and everybody fell down, Bradbury said after the race, quote, given the way I won the race, I wasn't going to be the guy who went around pumping my fists. I no. just put my arms up in disbelief. Bradbury's surprise victory made him the first athlete from the Southern Hemisphere to win a gold medal at the Winter Olympics. Though luck was on Bradbury's side. This is so fascinating. This is like the the story behind it is also awesome. Yeah. Bradbury's surprise victory. um, Though the luck was on Bradbury's side in 2002, the skater had experienced his fair share of disasters on the racetrack. Eight years before his victory, Another skater's blade accidentally sliced Bradbury's leg at a World Cup event, resulting in him needing over 100 stitches to repair the damage. That's a huge cut. That's huge. But Bradbury learned to be a more cautious skater, which ended up playing in his favor in 2002. Yes. Um, It is uh, amazing. The video, we'll post the video. Yeah. It is so, so, he is so far behind the group. Yes. He's like so far behind the group. (laughs) And then they all crash into each other. And then he skates totally standing upright, like not like hunched over the way speed skaters are, just upright with his like hands behind his back across the finish line. (laughs) And then everyone else is like scrambling in a pile to try and cross and get like the bronze and the silver. (laughs) Oh my God. That is the best. Damn, I love that story. Isn't it wonderful? And also the fact that there was like a reason behind why he was like hanging back at to like you know. It's so great. It's so great. I love it. I love it the most. Um I remember Oh, that makes me so happy, man. This is I, this just sparked a crazy memory for me. I don't even know if this is a, a story, but That's okay. I remember back in probably 1999 1998 when huge year when um when i first started improvising at upright citizens brigade theater in new york city yeah i was in a group and this is like for those of you who are familiar with the ucb now it it, or at least before they they lost a bunch of the theaters and stuff it was a highly competitive theater was very big time hard to get into hard to get on the house teams very hard um, yeah, this was great. right. I took like the first class after they opened their doors um, with their actual space, and so you kind of like if you finished level three, you got put on a on a team. That was kind of the nice. situation at the time. Nice. And so we were on a team called Neutrino, 
Mm-hmm. And they had this thing called Cage Match that would happen. And I think it still does. But this was like the first time Cage Match started happening in New York City. It started in, I think, in Chicago. And it was two improv teams and they would compete against each other in a midnight show. And Fun. then the audience would determine who wins, and then the person would continue on. And it was kind of a, as I say, the smaller the stakes in artistic, in small artistic communities, the smaller the stakes, the more intense the Absolutely. rivalries and... And Absolutely. anger about yes. it is because there's no there's no rec- recompense there's no no one's getting paid or anything like that. It's and just it's about- sub- comedy subjective. So like you could have done a brilliant improv scene, brilliant, but then the people that are there were just like, but the fart guy was farting funny, <laughs> and you're like, damn, the fart guy was farting funny. And I remember it was our first time, and we were going up. We just happened to be going up the very best against the very best group at the theater, who is mm-hmm. had been there the longest, and were really, really good. And we're like, and we just we had just become a team. Yeah, but you had some all stars on that team. Yeah, those were funny. Um, but we still we were just like you know we're brand new, and we definitely had a worse show. But then when voting came. We like we just had people that we had ran out in the audience with beer and gave everyone a beer. <laughs> that's and it. So then we won. <laughs> yeah, that's showbiz, baby. And the anger, the vitriol that we faced from that moment on, we were never like it was always mm. in that crew. It was very high school vibe. You were the bad boys of comedy. I love yeah, it. Yeah, they were like, we're, they're the, the bad, bad boys. Boy and also, like, they're like, they're no talents. Even though we were talented, oh, they were like, everyone have. was like, they're no talents. And because we God. handed out beer at this one thing, it was so stupid. But it kind of like bonded us all together to be like, oh, we're, we're like the enemies of, the, of all the other groups. That's fine with us. Yeah, screw that. That is so, it is true, though. Like, the smaller the stakes. Yes. Like their Sketchfest in New York and in San Francisco, it's like a big deal. And when I was doing Hot Dogs, which was like a Vice show, uh, it was like a web series. We got in, and so I get there, I get to the UCB, and I'm nice and I like meeting people. So I'm yeah. walking up to people in the hallway. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm Scotty," and they're and I'm like, "Hey, we're doing Hot Dogs. What are you guys doing?" And I can remember to this day, you know, ten years, fourteen years later, like people who weren't cool, who were like yeah. competitive, and yeah. we stay in that back hallway under the old. UCB under the old supermarket drinking yep. beers, and I can remember. And it's and you know I I carry that chip on my shoulder yes. against those people Me to too. this day because Me we were too. all young and trying. And I'm literally just being like, "Cool, you guys sketch. What do you do?" And they'd be like, "Um, yeah, we're doing live sketch." And I was like, "Oh." So now, <laughs> when I see those people, like, hey, if anybody's got any writing work or whatever, I'm looking for work. And, you know, they're tweeting it. I'm like, tough shit. <laughs> I ain't helping you at all. You were mean to me when I was 22, so you could kiss my ass. I know. I remember everybody. Yeah, because the only, yeah, it was like, oh, it was just such a, the snarkiness was, and like the, the in-crowdness was so gross. The clickiness was terrible. It was so terrible. And that's why I really, I was like, I, I was happy to leave when I did. Yeah, they are. It's weirdly because it's like, hey, we're a theater. And I, this is not me just dumping on UCB. This is like anything, any yeah. town, anywhere that has the improv team yep. or their funny comedy club or whatever, 
there's always a hierarchy and there's always clicks. And it's like, guys, your job is to make strangers laugh. Just be cool yeah. with each other. Yeah. Like just be nice the to community. each other. Build yeah. the community. Instead, it's just like, oh, she that's kind of my premise. They stole my joke. You're like, relax. Yeah. It that's is. Nuts. It's so fascinating. Um, all right, give me another one, Scotty. I got another one. You know what? Also, that your what? last story, the skating story reminded me. I wrote a pilot three or four years ago based on the article by Stephen Leckhart um, that it didn't get me into a show. I think it might turn into a movie, but it's this really great story about a guy named Tom Justice, mm-hmm. real person, crazy name. Um, yeah. And he was an Olympic cycling hopeful who who just didn't take it seriously enough and became kind of a slacker in the 90s. And then he got really serious about it and ended up getting injured. So he didn't make the Olympics. He didn't make the U.S. Olympic cycling team. But then the adrenaline rush was still in him and he still wanted to be the best. And he had this deep burning desire. So he started robbing banks using only his bicycle. Oh, my God. And he wore, the first time he did it, he's from Illinois, from Liberty, Libertyville, something like that. Liberty somewhere, um, Illinois. And he, no, where was he for? Yeah, I think that's right. And so he would ride, he would get dressed up. The first time he did, he wore a wig and like Jackie Onassis glasses and like this crazy thing. And then he just passed a note and they gave him the money. And then he would walk where he had hidden his bike, strip off his like costuming and he'd have a full bike jersey and bike pants and you know bike shorts kit and then he'd just ride away because he was like a sprinter on his bicycle so he could go like 0 to 30 in like five three pedal strokes yeah and he robbed i believe it was 26 banks over 4 years using no weapons using notes and a bicycle whoa wow it's one of the greatest stories uh and yeah i just like read the article yeah Stephen leckhart wrote it it was incredible Choir, and they called him choir boy the fbi was trying to figure out because he was robbing in different states because he would hold his hands in front of him and pair prayer pose to show he wasn't like a threat after passing the note and then taking it back saying like empty your till and so they just had this polite guy that would be like excuse me thank you so much and then he would leave after robbing banks 26 banks in four years crazy Twenty six bags of food—that's crazy. And he—they had no idea who he was. Like he made a bunch of mistakes towards the end that cost him. But if he had stopped around eighteen, they had no idea. His friends and family didn't know. Wow. Nobody knew. And he was so—it was just—it took the guts to go do it. So good for that skater for just having the guts to do it. Tom was, Justice. I um I listened to a podcast that was somewhat similar, but this was about the guy who. I think still to this day has the 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 FBI's um, record for having robbed the most amount of banks in the shortest mm. amount of time. He robbed something like fifty six banks all up and down California coast. Wow! And he was a um, an engineer for uh, he would build airplanes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, crazy. and then got addicted to Oxycontin just because his doctor prescribed it to That's him right. and then started using heroin and then started robbing banks and it, and, but he was like this, he had an Great engineer's mindset yeah. and he knew all of the laws and stuff. So he like, yeah. 
he like literally like they had no idea who was doing it and it was just like all a series in a row and of course eventually it gets caught and everything but there's yes. interviews with him and everything and i can't remember the name of the podcast <laughs> we'll figure it out we are someone, our, will, someone will send the murder us. bananas are true crime fiends first banana head second yeah. okay laura allison sent this in thank you laura allison mm-hmm. uh miami man Injured by falling iguana during outdoor <laughs> yoga class. <laughs> great story. This, this was in the Miami story. New Times. I don't have a writer for it for some reason. Injured. So. Injured. Mediumist in the business. A yoga student at a free class in Legion Park was in the corpse pose. <laughs> oh, that's when flat he, down, flat on his back. Yeah. When Ooh. he was hit in the face by a falling oh. iguana. Oh, my God. Miami, Florida. Oh, how much does <laughs> an iguana weigh? Great, you might have to Google I'll that while I'm reading. While we gotta waiting. know. The bananas are chomping at the bit yeah. to know how much does an iguana weigh. <laughs> I would guess eight pounds for a huge. I think one. that. I, would I think guess that three that's pounds. a great. Uh, eight pounds is a great one. Great. They're pretty big down oh, there. Oh my god! They're bigger than house cats sometimes. A one-year-old. Is oh oh I see mm. two to four You're, pounds two, two years four old pounds. four to six pounds three years old five to eight pounds hey. four years old can be ten pounds they ten as pounds they just keep they just keep face. getting bigger and bigger huh yeah that's right uh, a yoga student at a free class in Legion Park was during the corpse pose when he was hit in the face by a falling iguana earlier this month the Miami New Times reported I didn't see it coming. It felt like a sandbag hit me in the face. The victim, who only wanted to be identified as Michael. <laughs> as, oh, man. He should only be identified as Yoga Bud. <laughs> yeah, or Iguana Mike. Like, this guy's blowing it. Don't go. Be proud that you got smashed in the face by For a reptile. Real? The first thing that went through my head was it must have been a coconut. That would have been scary. But Ooh. there were no coconut trees. And then I thought maybe the guy next to me slugged me. But, I mean, we're in a yoga class. It's so calm and peaceful. Why would a guy hit me? <laughs> Michael's cool. Iguana Mike rocks. The class was live streamed. <laughs> no, it was not. I, I, don't worry. I checked. You can't see it. It sucks. No. The class was live streamed by instructor Anna Margaret Sanchez. At the end of the video, just before the 48-minute mark, Sanchez and others who are attending the class can be seen and heard audibly gasping and laughing at the iguana fall, which happens off screen. Oh. Tragic. That is one of the great tragedies of modern times. <laughs> Sanchez quickly becomes concerned, gets up and says, oh, no, as she heads over to see if Iguana Mike needs help. Uh, paramedics who were already in the park <laughs> can be seeing... <laughs> Could be seen carrying sunflowers as they respond to the scene. What? What? Okay. What is happening at, at Legion Park? <laughs> Sanchez came back to the streaming video a few seconds later to end the class saying, I'm going to take care of somebody that just got an iguana dropped on his face. All right. I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the best. This is an incredible story. It really in, is. In comments, she later wrote on the video, she wrote, there was an iguana fight, and one fell out of the tree. Unfortunately, it dropped on our dear dear yogi, Michael. Thankfully, Michael is safe, although he and we were all a little shaken. Thanks to the amazing paramedics that just happened to be there buying flowers. <laughs> they, 
<laughs> I mean, what if it, what if aliens had landed and they witnessed this? What if this was their first experience with humanity? <laughs> Grips of them lie down, and then these green lizards plop on their face, and then everybody panics, and then grown men and women carrying sunflowers come over and help them <laughs> and put them in a car with lights that spin and shine. <laughs> Thank you to the yoginis and yogis that held the space for us. Love and gratitude. Michael returned to yoga the following week. It's got to happen. Yeah. Good job, Michael. Oh, man. He sleeps with, that, he, he lays down with his eyes open now. Yeah. Could you have he just caught close, it? That's the question. If you, were, if it, <laughs> you probably could move if you saw it coming. But God. to catch an iguana... Just to be, you know, you're lying there. What is it, Shavasana? You're just laying there, breathing deep into into your belly. You're exhaling, <laughs> and then you get hit in the face by a warm lizard. Oh, it's incredible. Man. I I uh, was walking Olive home from school. I don't know, a couple months ago, and uh, right in front of us, from a tall tree, mm. a squirrel just fell out of the tree and hit the sidewalk. All, all legs at, spread out. Splat, so, yeah. Sp- it, it hit the sound lock, and it sounded like, like that is the noise it made, <laughs> I swear to God. Poor little guy. And then it just jumped up and like ran away. But both Olive and I just stopped and then just were like burst out laughing. Um, but it is very alarming. You don't think animals who live in trees fall out of the trees very often. Turns out, I no. think they do. No. When I did that acting class, when Courtney Peroso, who was on the podcast, she and I took an acting class in New York years and years and years ago, and a big component of it, every day we would do like two full hours of this thing called lucid body, which is like pretty rigorous yoga and then movement. Uh-huh. And the yoga part, I was young and you know flexible, but it was hard. Like I yeah. remember going from like, oh, yoga's stretching to like, oh my God, this is so hard. Yeah. And by the end... We were all really fit. We were all able to access emotions by releasing these chakras and doing all this fun thing. But the movement part ruined it. I would get in the greatest headspace ever doing yoga, and I would feel so ready to do these scenes. And then we would do uh, – the, the woman's name was Faye. And Faye would get up, and then we would do first position, and we would do demi-plié, and we would do plié. We'd do second position. We'd do third position. So we're doing basics Why? of dance Ballet. and – ballet Uh and but so that's fine you get the flow going you're going out but it's a lot of like it's a lot of like grown men that are feeling a little like i don't know just awkward about it i guess and it was fine but then she some i don't know why but she would always play cold play I'm not a Coldplay guy. A couple weeks ago, we you were like, whoever it was, I think it was Eden, maybe. Somebody was like, what would your song in hell be? And I I had said Alicia Keys, but looking back, it honestly might be any Coldplay song. It's so, like, emotional. But it was that song that's like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And it's just like piano. And we're doing, she's going, first position, second position. And there's this kid from North Carolina named buck and they're like buck fingers out and i'm like losing for a comedy writer it is the weirdest scene i'm a grown man just swinging my arms out and bowing and doing plies as cold plays just like so all the hour of grueling yoga just gets completely negated and it was so i'm like any song 
any song but Cole. I don't even know what the song is called. Clocks or something. It was <laughs> to this day when I hear that song, I'm like, no, <laughs> turn nope. it off. Not relaxing, embarrassing. <laughs> like I get rosy cheek just thinking about it. Anyways, love yoga. Wish I got hit in the face with iguana. Sounds pretty exciting. It does sound pretty exciting, doesn't it? Heck yeah, dude. I'll send us home. Send us home. Bananimals, rate and review us. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we have so many five-star reviews. I'm now posting them in the stories. We love to see the reviews. And thank you to everybody who's already done it. It actually does mean so much for the Bananas podcast. This is just a shout out to Katie Natopolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been doing, I noticed this on her uh, Instagram, which was very, very funny. Uh, it was uh, just like a while ago, she was just posting these like weird photos with food. And then, sure. And then the captions were insane. Yes. And so this, she wrote this article for BuzzFeed. And I read this is what I love about her. She like lives she lives the weird corners of the internet with her real life. <clears throat> this is her article. I had AI write my Instagram captions and my friends did a wellness check on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Uh, so I'll just read a give little bit one. of it. Yeah, give me one. Send. Like many people, I've been following the news, capabilities of ChatGPT, other AI writing tools with a mix of fear and curiosity. Seems to be a consensus that this will radically change the nature of work, but I'm not totally sure yet what it would actually do for me. And then I realized there's one thing in my life that feels like dr- drudgery, an obligation that I don't enjoy posting to Instagram. What if I could get AI to write my Instagram captions? Would the words seem human? Would it do a passable job of seeming like an avocado toast-eating millennial? Could it make posting to the grid feel less like a chore? Only one way to find out. Uh, so she does it. She uses this app called Paragraph AI, uh, which is like a keyboard pops up on your phone. In, That's cool. And it just like does it for you. Great. Uh and then you can like adjust it where it's like informal to formal, friendly to assertive, pessimistic to optimistic. Uh, my so it's the really? results. My first attempt at a caption involved a new flavor of goldfish, Frank's Red Hot. They taste exactly like you'd imagine. Also, I want this goldfish. I would eat that in a um, second. It sounds great. Here's what the AI came up with. I recently tried a new flavor of goldfish crackers. Spicy! It was a novelty flavor, and I was curious to see how it tasted. To my surprise, they were actually quite good. The flavor was a nice balance of spicy and salty, and I found myself reaching for more. <laughs> God, that's so insane. Also, the using, some people say quite too much. Bananimals, check yourself. You might be saying quite too much. Just something, yeah. as a writer, I hear people being like, well, that's quite nice, isn't it? I'm like, you didn't need... You didn't need the quite. Mm-hmm. They were actually quite good. They were quite good. Oh, we had, yeah. Uh, it drives me nuts. Quite and just. You might be saying just too much, too. Be careful out there. Um, but yeah, basically, you can go to Katie Katie's uh, Instagram, and if you scroll down a little bit, you'll just... Anything, it's all food-related. So she just reviews a bunch of different food. And um, yeah, it's exactly I'm what laughing. you would think for an AI. But there was a lot Hell of people yeah. who didn't know what she was doing, because she didn't, she didn't announce it. And so she had <laughs> know, like, good people for her. in high school, she just started feeling bad, reaching out and being like, hey, is everything okay? <laughs> Understandable. We've all been there. We've all watched people on social media where you're like, oh, I could tell in these two photos, they're getting divorced. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Scotty, thank you for another delightful episode of Bananas. You got it, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Exactly right. Katie Levine and our full human intern, Lisa Maggid. Bang.
banana. It's the Bananas Podcast. Bananas is an Exactly Right Media production. Our producer and engineer is Katie Levine. The catchy Bananas theme song was composed and performed by Kahan. Artwork for Bananas was designed by Travis Millard. And our benevolent overlords are the great Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. And Lisa Maggot is our full human, not a robot intern. Bananas! Bananimals, follow Bananas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, feel free to rate and review our little show. And of course, please visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase Bananas merch.